Hello and welcome to another There Giants podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Roger Munter, and it has been far too long since uh, I've had the chance to talk with uh, everybody's favorite Giants Twitter follow, uh, affectionately known as GPT or Giants Prospects, uh, really one of the essential and great giant Twitter follows uh, for many, many years going back. Uh, we're going to talk a little international development today. Uh, Avi, thanks for taking some time to chat with me. How are things for you? You've had you've had a big couple of years, I feel like. Yeah, personally, uh, definitely, uh, which has also had a negative impact on my coverage of the giant system. But there's so many great folks like yourself and others um, doing that coverage now for the folks on the public side. So I feel like nothing has been dropped for us. Uh, followers that's right we're all kind of ants you just sort of you know you move the food along as as best you can (laughs) yeah absolutely that's a great way to put it you've have always uh you've always i mean you do have great insights on on baseball in general but i feel like you've always focused on the international market and international development and have always had great great sources great videos you get from kids down there what kind of How'd you get started on that? What was what was uh, what was your gateway drug to really being interested in in the international market of baseball? I think at the core of it, um, it was just a hunger for information and thoroughness um, for domestic players. There was and is a ton of scouting reports, videos, opinions out there, and even though international players make up what a quarter, a third um, of the game right now. Yeah. Proportionally, there isn't anywhere near that type of coverage. Um, so in our little area of Giants prospects coverage, I saw that as an opportunity to bridge some of that gap. And on the personal side, um, I think I have some affinity to international players. Uh, my parents are immigrants to this country who arrived with limited English proficiency and uh, chasing a dream. And I think that applies uh, for the most part, uh, to a lot of the international players. So I kind of see my own um, family's hopes and dreams in them. So I yeah. think that gives me a, per- a little bit of personal motivation to um, care a bit more, not that others don't, but a bit more to reach out and ask for information. And people have been very kind to me um, in providing that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And you're right. It, it's so we're so information soaked these days. But, you know, DSL games are still a place where yeah, I, I can sort of back around the corner sometimes watch watch these games, but you, you can't see it. You don't get highlights. You don't get footage. Uh, we have data, but it's not that great. And of course, all the stuff that goes before kids sign. Um there's not much transparency. There's not much information or there's not much transparency. Uh, it's it's sort of the Wild West down there uh, in ways that are both interesting and 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 not so great sometimes, um, particularly on the financial side. Um, but it is, you know, kind of a fascination, I think, for all baseball fans because we're always hungry for information. So I, I always kind of like uh, lurk around to see what you're going to put up. Um, you, you particularly are good at getting people to send you videos, which are are a great, great help to people. Um, Giants on the international development side, uh, you know, a friend of friend of the site, Grant Brisby, uh, published an article not too long ago in The Athletic uh, looking at the last 50 years of international development for the Giants. Um, and it, it, it was pretty dreadful. It was a pretty bleak picture, which is very sad for me because when I was growing up, um, the Giants were really the leader in baseball at that. The great 60s era has a lot to do with 
you know, bringing foundational players over from, from other countries. So it's sad to see that they kind of fell apart, fell away from that path. Uh, I don't know, as you, as you've been covering this, which you've been doing for, for years now, do you sense, I don't know whether it's trends or, you know, catching up to other, what organizations are doing, are there changes that have been going on in the giant sort of international scouting and development that you can see and identify um, maybe the last decade or so? I think that's a great question. So this is a difficult thing to parse out, obviously, um, you know, back to comparing it against domestic players, we're able to get a, a general sense for the type of player profiles teams target, and we can bucket them and see where the giants are. Are they emulating the best teams or are they in with the poorly run teams or are they somewhere in the middle? We can't really do that internationally because so much of the scouting and development occurs so far away from our eyes. And I think we'll be able to narrow this gap in the future as more of the data uh, becomes better and also becomes more available on the public side. Um, I think the one area uh, where the Giants might have struggled at um, in the past 15 years has been with projecting physicality. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't follow the outcomes of the other teams, so I can't say this for sure, but, but I think they have more players than average that fall into two bad ends of the spectrum in terms of projecting um, physicality. One side, one end of the spectrum is um, they don't have physicality now and then they don't develop any physicality as they get older. And then the other end is they're more physical than their peers in the moment. But then as they grow older, it turns more, they turn more into stiff players rather than maintaining that developmental arc. So I think they've kind of struggled avoiding those ends of the spectrum more than the other teams but again i can't say that for sure because there's 29 other teams and it would be a very difficult challenge to parse that out for us on the public side yeah they're there and uh, as you're talking i can think of some some sort of famous examples of that uh you know angel villalona for instance who was incredibly strong but um he did his body did not develop in in ways that helped him uh, aside from his other issues, obviously, uh, Rafael Rodriguez um, never developed any strength. Um, so uh, they, they do have this sort of strange history, or they did in that era um, when, frankly, they weren't spending a lot of money on development at, at all, where they would suddenly make a big splash um, every once in a, a few years. And those big splashes had sort of a bizarre history of unfortunate circumstance, just follow them along. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting to me about the international market, and if, if you ever read uh, Kylie McDaniel and Eric Longenhagen's book, Future Value, they get into that market a lot, uh, that Kylie McDaniel, when he was with a, the Braves or the Yankees, one or the other, did a study on it. And essentially, it's a, it's a lost leader market where you spend a lot of money that doesn't do anything, but when you have one hit with a player, it makes all the other money worthwhile. Um, so that, uh, you know, one Ronald Acuna or whatever brings back all your value and more and more, much more. Uh, so it's, it's kind of an inefficient market in that way, but it still provides a huge value uh, to teams that can, that can use it correctly. I feel like the last few years we've seen the Giants kind of more moderate their approach there. Um, 
you get years where it's kind of you get that two million, two and a half million guy and years where it's a few one million guys. But it's not kind of the boom and bust we've seen um, previous to this uh, administration or like 10 years ago. There's more of a, a logical approach each year kind of like following their board the way Joe Salerno said. Is that the sense you have? It's like they're not going to go up to $5 million, it doesn't feel like. But they do kind of like have that band that they're identifying in the in the $2 million, the $3 million range and work down from there. Is that kind of how you see what they're doing these days? Yeah, I think so. Um, and you can definitely see that as a change. Um, I think maybe since Bobby Evans um, took over in that period. I know Giants fans don't look look back fondly on that period but he did have some big positive impacts that people don't see uh, behind the scenes um yeah and i think they probably have some internal studies as well that show that it's probably better to play in that middle market middle high-end market and uh that's where they're targeting but i think next year and uh, we might touch on this at the at the end of this episode but they might throw that out of the window next year um, and go after one of the top guys. Uh, that's that's what we call a tease. Uh, in, <laughs> and we will get around to that. Um, but, but you know, before that happens, I think 2024 is shaping up to be a kind of epical season for the Giants in general, but also for, for this branch. Obviously, we saw Louis Matos and, and Marco Luciano make their major league debut last year. I would say both of them are in line to play a large role in the coming year. And really that year, 2018, when they signed both those guys in Jairo Pomaras, um, which was the first year coming out of the Lucius Fox uh, penalty box, that was the year they kind of made a big splash and looked like they were changing how they approached there. And now these guys are, are, are finally to the major leagues. To me, those two guys are along with maybe Kyle Harrison, but Luciano Matos are extremely pivotal players, I think, to the future, the near-term success of this club. I'm not sure there's a real past to, to relevance for them in the next three, four years that, that doesn't include Luciano particularly uh, becoming a real guy and, and kind of Matos too. They've become really pivotal characters for the Giants doing what they want to do. Um, I don't know. Am I being too dramatic when I say that? Do you kind of look at them in the same way? No, I, I think you're right. Um, if they don't succeed, is there a path for them to be successful? Sure. Uh, but obviously it becomes much narrower. Uh, if you get Luciana to a borderline all-star level, um, Lee is in, uh, plays at an above average center fielder. Bailey develops his bat and maintains his strong defense. Matos hits enough to justify a corner spot. Estrada continues to be an above-average second baseman. You basically have up the middle covered, plus Matos, for not much salary. And then you build around them with high-priced free agents or you trade for established players. And none of that is groundbreaking. I think every plugged-in fan is aware of the value of that. Um, but if you look at the Giants system, like on the position player side, if Luciano and Matos don't pan out, you have to, what, reach down to Rainer Arias, Bryce Eldridge to project the next above-average starting player. And if if you're waiting on that, you're waiting on a new regime as well, I think. Yeah. So um, I, I think I have a bit more faith that this regime could possibly find a way to be competitive without Luciano and Matos 
being successful. Um, they've shown some of that, you know, with Yaz, uh, Estrada, Wade Jr. They haven't hit on the the four win player or the five win player, of course. But are those players out there who are being undervalued right now? And could the Giants trade for them? Sure, but that is now you're playing really small odds. Yeah, and it also becomes more of um, a piecemeal game where every year you're trying to create a new puzzle. Whereas you know when the young talent comes up and has impact, there's a there's a sustaining process around which you can hang other things that that obviously helps. Um, I definitely think you you know you're right that the guys who are near ready bats are the guys who showed up last year. There's not an immediate wave behind Luciano, uh, although you have, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, Iverson, Arteaga, Grant McRae down in double A, you know, who have some developing to do, but, but, but this wave is kind of here now. And it's, it's about sort of developing them at the major league level and, and seeing that transition be successful. If that happens, then everything that's been going on for the last five years starts to come to fruition and, and, and look a lot better to me. If it doesn't, then yeah, you're, you're, you've got uh, another four years ahead of you while you wait for Bryce Eldridge and Rainer Arias. But, um, but yeah, let's talk on, on the good side. You know, you do have Luciano, you do have Matos, you do have Camilo Duvall. They've done such an interesting job signing kind of older players to small, older pitchers to small deals uh, that have worked out well for them. Um, I know that last year you were pretty busy. Um, but if we talk about, say, the post-Luciano years, like 2019 um, up to the, the last year, who are the guys who kind of caught your eyes that you really liked, uh, you've been kind of surprised by, uh, or or guys you think are kind of lurking in the weeds that you still think might surprise people in, in the next year or so? Um, I think Everson Artiaga, Iverson Artiaga, sorry, um, is definitely – Honestly, the only player that I really see as somebody who's going to project to be average, maybe, and and some potential to be better than that. Um, he has some of those tools that he can rely upon his defenses. He picks the ball well. He has the arm. He has the range. He has the athleticism to stick there. So that gives him a good foundation. And the bat, um, yes, he has some tendencies to chase, um, uh, hit, try to take on pitches that he can't really do damage with. And he has a physicality to improve upon, but he's the one guy that I think um, that has really stood out um, in his ability to kind of play, go out there and play a lot, stay healthy and get better over the season. Whereas some of these young players, they wear down um, and kind of sputter out after a couple of months. Um, whereas Artiaga has shown that ability to go out there and play every day, which is I think underrated at the young player level. Yeah, I I try to accentuate that every now and then when I talk about him. I, I don't think I do a good enough job to explain just how much he's been an Iron Man as a 19, 20-year-old. He, he played all but, I think, 12 games in Eugene last year and did something very close to that year before in San Jose, which is very unusual uh in in modern player development uh he really is out there every day i'm just looking at my kind of looking over my list and like yeah the the position player side the only guys i have from those sort of post luciano classes are artiaga velasquez who's who's you know is a kid who needs to get much much stronger uh the two catchers sagaste and and o'neill perez 
and then Victor Barakoto, uh, who had a really good year this year, but you know, obviously has some uh, some athleticism, some defense, a lot of things about his game other than power hitting that are are still to be worked out. Sugasti so, is somebody I really like. Um, the I think the first time I saw him in San Jose, even though he didn't really knock him out of the park. I felt like he has the same swing that you can project at the major league level. Uh, not that kind of that flat swing that a lot of young players um, coming out of Latin America have because they lack that strength to really elevate the ball. Um, Sugaste had that natural kind of uppercut, which I like to see a little bit. Um, he has that strong arm behind the plate. Pitchers seem to like him, even though I think his framing could use some work. I, I don't. I didn't really follow him last year, so I don't know how he kind of went how he did in Eugene, but I like him. I think he has a swing. I just don't know if if everything is going to come together for him. As I started putting together my my uh, my fifty for this year, I I actually had Sagaste ahead of O'Neill Perez. Um, you know, for for a lot of reasons. One, they're the same age, and Sagaste's always been a level ahead. Um, but I kept sending out scouts, and I'd get the first like, you know, put Perez in front of Sagaste. Um, and so I, I keep I keep nudging them closer together. Um, I think some uh, a lot of the scouts I see see more. I think it's athleticism with Perez is what they're looking at. That Sagaste has a little bit of a uh, a tighter body overall. Um, I, I think I think the feeling is Sagaste is definitely going to be a catch and throw guy who can very much have a a, a sort of backup career. Uh, but if you wanted to put your had in the ring for one of these guys being a starter that maybe Perez is ahead for people because his body control is a little better. Uh, neither of them are hit for power right now, and both of them have a tendency to chase. The guy says chase numbers last year were pretty eye-popping. <laughs> he can get the bat on everything, um, but that's right. probably why the impact is lacking on on his bat. Um, what about on the pitching side? So the pitching side is – is. Uh, there's so long, I think since Marichal, what was it Brent Grant said, since Marichal, is Solomon Torres maybe the only starting pitcher they've developed from the international market? It, it's it's a long, long slog without much success, uh, sadly, except for Louis Castillo, who they gave away. Who are the arms you like on, on the pitching side? And do you think there's any chance that any of these guys are, are a starting pitcher that are on their way up? Um, I think one name that I've, kind of mentioned on Twitter um, a few times is Alex Hernandez. Um, he has, I think, the body, the arm speed, the feel for spin, um, and present velocity. Uh, those are the components you like to see in a young arm and, and more projection left. Uh, is he going to be a starter? Of course, we have no idea about that. Um, it depends on how he's able to develop his command, his how his body develops, and a bunch of other factors that come with being an international pitcher but I think he's an arm that I like um Manuel Mercedes uh I think he really should be better than he, what he's been so far I know he's had some ups and downs and I think he was better last year than he was in San Jose his first time around um but he when you there's certain times where I'm like this guy this is gonna sound crazy but this guy is, is he that far from being a Logan Webb it, it, I know that sounds like a completely wild thing to say, but there are moments where I'm like, I can see it, but those moments are so far few in between that I don't know. I don't know if he'll ever get there. 
he had such a bizarre year this year because he 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 made vast improvement in his ability to be in the strike zone um and yet he completely lost his ability to miss bats i mean the the strikeout the whiff numbers are just fell through the floor and he's also you know when he was in complex he was mostly a four seam guy and there was a lot of chance that that velocity was going to really go up since he's gone to a two seam it's kind of backed up a little bit it still moves all over the place um and it's still perfectly good velocity it's funny when you say logan webb because you know when logan webb was in a ball he had a completely different repertoire essentially from the guy who's now an ace in the in the majors he sort of created that repertoire in the major leagues which has been fascinating to watch he was like a four seam curveball guy who had a change that he sometimes threw um and it just shows you what happens when good arms kind of get to the coaching uh at the major league level what what can happen right absolutely and if you look at mercedes when you see him just how he moves on the mound he's stable um so you can and he's athletic because he has that arm speed so i feel more comfortable projecting that command once he figures out his pitching cues and you know, commanding a two-seamer when you haven't been throwing it all your life and you're already pretty young is not easy. It, you have to figure out, okay, when I release it here, when I put this pressure on the lace here, this is yeah. the type of movement I'm getting and this is where I need to release it. There's a lot of mental cue development that needs to happen when you're kind of learning that pitch at that velocity, generating that type of movement. So um, I think the development arc for those type of pitchers is longer. So I think there's still a chance for him to put it all together. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm I keep sort of pushing him up my list too, and I'm I'm totally with you on Alex Hernandez. Um, again, you'll just hear this over and over from Giants officials. Needs to get stronger. Uh, you could see him wear down uh, through his 50 innings or so on the complex, but still, uh, it was a very very impressive pro debut. Um, where are you on on Hiromi uh, Maldonado, um, who is probably the, the the strongest arm uh, that they have in this group, uh, but still a lot of refinement needs to happen, but seems to be a really smart, inquisitive kid uh, in terms of, of, of his own game? I honestly haven't seen a ton of him. Uh, that's why I haven't made a mention of him yet. But I, I think the little I've seen of him, I just, and this is just, I'm, I'm an arm. I can't even call myself an armchair scout. It's 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 something like whatever the level two levels below that is. I think that's where I might be. I think I just I don't see. I just don't like how he moves. I think it's a bit um, robotic and stiff. And I'm just concerned that he's 20 now and he's already kind of looks like he's fully baked. How is he gonna be when he's 23 when that athleticism starts dipping a little bit? I think maybe folks on the public side aren't aware or maybe not familiar that. People think the decline of athleticism starts when you're 27, but really yeah. your peak athleticism starts declining when you're 22, 23. Um, you really need to kind of have things in place um, in terms of how you're developing the other aspects of how you move by that time. Because if you don't, you're not going to have your athleticism to rely on making up for it. Yeah. Excuse me, making up for it. And to me, it looks like Maldonado might be on the wrong side of what I mentioned earlier about physicality, being stronger than your peers, being a more being better than your peers at your age, but then kind of that arc, kind of not maintaining that arc as you get older. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well, let's turn to the 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 newest class, uh, and then we'll end with a tease for next year. Um, I, it seems like, well, not seems like, uh, Just Lerma was quite quite frank on this. They lost a couple guys somewhere along the way. What was uh, what's your sort of immediate response to the the newest group of kids coming in this year? I don't think Joe Slitterman was going to be a big fan of this, but I was kind of <laughs> underwhelmed, uh, to be honest. Um, I think Johendry Sanchez, I think, is, a, again, not to keep going back to as well, I think he falls into that kind of much stronger than Pierce. Is he really – does he really have the anything else going on that's going to – you can see him projecting at the major league level. Um, multiple people I spoke – not multiple people, but – the people that I spoke to um, suggested that he's already probably stiff right now and is looking like a right-handed first baseman. Um, the power is real, but how much of it is him just muscling balls out in smaller fields, which looks impressive compared to what is he going to be able to do um, as a professional? Um, and he was sitting out there apparently. So he was not somebody who had an agreement for like two, three years. Um, he came, I think he came to an agreement somewhat later than most of the top guys do. So there were concerns about him, I think, um, not about his makeup or anything, just about how his um, body plays um, and his, how his tools will play. Um, the one guy I did like uh, at the top was Johnny Level. Um, he's probably a third baseman, but he definitely has a power potential um, just for to play there. Uh, for both sides. Uh, he's a hard worker, really has already been putting in the work in the gym, getting stronger. Um, he has a strong arm, which will play well at third base. Uh, so he might be the guy for me, I think, in this class. And then after that, it really drops off sharply. Um, then you're down to the guys in the $250,000 range, which it's a mixed bag. You don't know. It, it's, like taking, it's like lottery tickets after that. Some of them might hit, you might not hit. Um, our Janice Kayama, I think so, yeah. uh, Joe Salomo mentioned him on your podcast. Uh, if pitching was valued equivalent to hitting in the international market, which obviously it's not because of the volatility around pitchers, especially at that age, he would be like a 500K guy, I think. Like, that's the way I think about it. If a pitcher gets 150K, that's a guy you need to pay attention to. Yeah, uh, because that's a good amount of money for a pitcher. So he might be another guy. And then one guy way down the list, I think, the third catcher of the class in terms of bonus, right. Fernando Pena. I don't know how he looks behind the plate, but he has a little bit of um, power in him. So not not <laughs> exuberant about this class, but, of course, the international market, you can say something like that, and then you can have four guys hit. So who knows? Yeah, the the I, I mean I I sort of asked Joe about that with uh, with you Andrew Sanchez because I know the you know the organization is very much about strength right now. There is something about the way you talk about Sanchez that reminds me of um, um, Dario Lopez, who they uh, who they picked up in the minor league phase of the Rule Five draft from Pittsburgh. Really, really strong. Um, but I talked to scouts and it's, it's very much the same thing. Yeah. Stiff, not athletic. Um, not sure where he goes from here. Doesn't show athleticism in the, in the field or the batter's box. Um, so 
hard to see where that where that profile really goes forward. Um, I am interested in Kayama because they just haven't gotten arm strength like that. Uh, I, you know, Mercedes was somewhat of that same thing and Maldonado. So it is interesting to see that. They got a bunch of pitchers last year, and I know you see didn't pay much attention. There's some interesting arms in there. They didn't necessarily have pop, but, uh, you know, Frainer Mejias and uh, Alfonso Perez, Jose Rangel, they had some kids who I think, you know, you get a little strength and maturity. Somebody from that group could stand out. I also mentioned yeah. in Oliver Tejada um, as just a yeah. as just a bat. Uh, he's an interesting looking athlete. Yeah, Tejada I think is a guy who's much stronger than his peers. Um, he's pretty small and he's a corner outfielder, so that's a pretty tough profile to just to start with. Guys under five ten. Um, if I, I doubt he's five ten, he's probably like five eight. Um, <laughs> already very strong corner outfield probably average speed so he really needs to hit and probably hit for power to um keep progressing up the system so that's a tough tough profile for sure yeah let's come back now we'll end it uh, after after that little uh uh detour into a slight pessimism we'll, we'll end on an up note uh so you put out on twitter recently that uh the Giants are favorite to sign uh, Joshua De Jesus Gonzalez, um, who Joe had mentioned as somebody who is quote unquote on their radar. Um, uh, yeah, it was quite noticeable to me that in the video you put on your Twitter, uh, he was wearing a a Giants uh, <laughs> Giants top with his name on the back. I'm like, yep, that's on the radar, all right. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you found out about uh, about Joshua? Um, so. Next year's class, from what I've heard, isn't um, a great class. Uh, there's not a consensus number one player right now. Um, but at least from the Dominican Republic, Gonzalez seems to be the number one guy. Uh, for at least a couple of people that told me that information. Um, and it's been the, and he's not somebody who's just popped up on the radar. He's been known in the national circles for a few years. He's played on the Dominican national teams. He was on the I think on the under 15 America's qualifiers, uh, which I asked for a video about um, on Twitter, but nobody got back to me about this obscure game. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, switch hitter, I think he might be, might have taken up hitting from the left side more recently. Um, hasn't been a switch hitter uh, forever. Uh, is definitely his top tools are he's going to be somebody who's going to stick at shortstop, has all the tools there, has a range the arm, just the natural feel that you need there. Um, so the big question mark there is um, his approach. Is he going to put enough bat on the ball to uh, be somebody you can see as an all-star type player? If that doesn't come around, uh, maybe like an Ahmed Rosario um, or somebody who's a good defender, hits a few out of the park and is not somebody who you love um, starting at shortstop, but uh, not a bad option either. So, I'm 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 projecting somebody who's a year away from signing and four years probably away from hitting the major leagues. But so there's a ton of volatility and um, unknowns about that. But that's the general impression I've gotten about him. 
Yeah, I mean, which is which is a really good outcome. We've got, you know, 2018 was five years ago. That's how long it took Matos and Luciano to get to the majors. Obviously, there were some delays in there. Uh, Alex Canario got to the majors last year, and he was like, what, 2017? Uh, yeah, you, you're you're assigning in four or five years away on in a good in a good development outlook but that's still a great outcome and it, it is good to see that when they've sort of played at higher levels they they are getting good outcomes uh pretty well i mean obviously luciano is uh is is still a really good uh player who has the potential to develop into a star rainer arias looked extremely good and all the sort of underlying hit data is even better than the the public stats um so they're they are doing well at sort of i think identifying some good athletes that they're willing to spend money on and and hopefully uh de jesus will be another guy in this in this category um you know it, it's it's as much as we know that the the fifty thousand dollar signings turn out to be great you know some some of the times uh, hello camilo duval everybody likes to watch the big money go by i think it's just the way the human brain is wired somehow <laughs> Absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like the general impression lately is that teams have gotten better at identifying the top guys and the top guys are actually turning into the top guys when they hit the pros and have started playing. Is that the general impression you have too? Yeah, I think that is definitely true. The last decade, there's been a lot higher hit rate. And some of that is just administrative logistics. It used to be that the biggest contracts of these guys were actually major league contracts. Uh, and then they were forced to shove them up into the major leagues in three years before they'd really developed. Like, I think like Willie Mo Pena, I think I feel like is one of those people who's a classic bust, but he, he was under that circumstance where he, his options ran out and he had to be in the majors at 19. And, you know, he kind of did the best he could from there. So some of that, the old rules did not help these kids just like, they still don't help the pitchers develop really the the rules and they should change those. But without a doubt, hit rates um, from around the middle of last decade are much, much better uh, on the higher end. Um, you know, it's still development and these two kids are still a long way away from major leaguers and a lot of stuff can happen, but it's definitely getting better. Uh, I, I think I, I also just think, you know, trends in terms of nutrition strength and conditioning all these things help mm -hmm. these guys significantly um to become you know the best versions of themselves so all that's pretty encouraging um hey can i end on a question that i did not at all prepare you for <laughs> sure go for it where do you think this market is heading and do you think we are at some point going to have a draft um that helps regulate some of the senior undersides uh, you know where are we heading in this market it seems like we've been talking about draft for years and it's it it never comes about and it's got so many complications uh, in front of it where are we going from here i think the draft is even though I, I like the idea of players having the you know whatever actual freedom that they do have in reality having the ability to choose where they end up yeah. uh, and the draft obviously takes that away so I think the international market is more player friendly in that one tiny sense. Does it actually play out in real life? Does a 12 year old, 13 year old actually have agency to right. pick where they end up? And do they even know, do their advisors and parents actually know what's best for them? I, I don't know. I think the one thing that I don't think has been, has been discussed uh, or written about is uh, 
to implement the draft, I think you would need the player union buy-in. And a good amount of those players are international players um, who understand how the international market works and have relationships with their academies, their trainers, the people who brought them into the game. And in negotiations, from what I've heard, uh, is that international players don't ask for much. Yeah, they don't say they don't have many demands. They don't they they take a back seat, and the domestic players really run the show um, in that area uh, for the most part. And one of the things they do put their foot down and have put their foot down in the past is preventing the international draft. Yeah, um, and I think they'll continue to use that um, until at some point there's a tipping point where. Um, maybe a, uh, a new generation of players decide uh, it's just not good for the players back home um, to yeah. continue with the system that we have. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, as my brother always says, it would be nice if they could just like go to school while they're kids, <laughs> the way their American counterparts are and, and not worry about baseball until they're, they're a little older, but uh, yeah. Anyway, Avi, I really appreciate you, you taking time to come talk talk ball with me. Uh, I always love getting to chat with you, and 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 it's been a long time since I've had you on. So I appreciate you taking some time to to talk Giants international baseball. Of course, Roger, and um, to the folks who listen to Roger's podcast, if you're listening to his podcast and you haven't subscribed um, to his Substack, what are you doing? You clearly care about the Giants. You care about the system. To listen to episodes about deep dives about things that most people may not care about so if you care enough to listen go ahead and subscribe and um reward roger for the work that he's putting in because it's I, it's amazing work it's great work yeah checks in the mail avi <laughs> i appreciate <laughs> that thanks thanks everyone for listening uh i'll be back with another show next week and uh we are getting ever so close to spring training so spring's in the air bye everyone bye avi thank you roger see you